Hi and welcome to B2B SaaS CEOs with me, Joseph Olsen, as your host. Today's episode is another special episode about go-to-market strategy. Basically because the last episode for almost four months ago has been really appreciated and it's soon time for 2024 and a lot of you, including myself, are thinking about what will the go-to-market strategy look like in 2024. So therefore, here we have it another go-to-market special. Enjoy! Hi, my name is Marcus Rader. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Hostaway. Can you share your main strategy and the key things that matter the most when you went from, and we will take this section for section, but starting with zero, nothing to 100K in ARR. Okay, that uh, for for the context, in our case, it took us about two years to develop the, the initial product and it took us another two years. So it took us essentially four years to get to that 100,000. One of the things that I I didn't realize at the time that that we were really lucky at and that a lot of SaaS companies out there are struggling with is called called category. So at the time when we started out, there there was a category of what today is known as vacation rental software. You can Google it and you'll find a list and we are on that list, but there's other companies there. Now, a lot of SaaS companies don't have a category. If you are developing a tool that does something for someone in some situation, like maybe for a dentist to know when their next appointment is, there's no category for that. Or maybe there is, but but <laughs> you need to figure out, is there a category of whatever you're trying to do? And then do you fit into that category? And then the second thing that that in our case that I also realized we were really lucky was that we had an inbound funnel all the way from the start. Before I even had a product, I had an ad on Facebook that said, do you want this stuff? In our case, vacation rental software. And people were clicking on it. And then I called them. So we were able to build an inbound funnel before we had anything at all, not even a website. I just had a form. <laughs> wow, this um, is amazing. And, and that's our that was our way of getting to the 100,000. What, what did you tell them when you called them? Like, I don't have nothing, but... Yeah, that's 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 literally what I said. Look, I'm really happy to talk to you. I actually don't have anything, but one day I will have the best whatever it is you're looking for. And because I'm talking to you, you're going to have access first and for free or cheaper than anyone else. But I need to know what exactly are you actually looking for? And turns out we found out that a lot of people were looking for different things. Which I think if you ask a dentist, what's your number one problem when it comes to booking in patients, you'll find the same answer. There's a lot of different problems to be solved. And, and this is where, where you should focus on in, in the zero to 100,000. You should find out who these people are, how to reach them. Are you in a category? If so, how do you compare to the others? Who are the others in the category? And then just see what would it take to take even one person that you're talking to from being a person to being a customer. In other words, what are the things you could build so that they could pay you money? Strong answer here. And moving the ladder, 100 to 1 million. 
Yeah, that's probably the the hardest part. I'd say it's quite easy to get to the hundred thousand if you're just because you people people like people, and if you're just passionate enough and engaged enough, they'll buy whatever you want to sell them. But to get to one million, the challenge is you have to actually start a mini organization, meaning you need to you can't do it on your own. You can't be one person that develops a product, sells it, does the marketing, does customer success, onboarding, does uh, support and finance, everything in between. You can't do that to one million. So you need other people. And suddenly everything that you care about, your customers, your product, your idea, your vision, you need to put those aside, which is incredibly hard to do as a founder. So, and and we we didn't do it. That's one mistake we did. We didn't actually put those things aside. As a result of it, people that we hired, well, they many of them loved us, but to be honest, most of them just hated us as founders because we did everything wrong because they had their idea of what work life should be. And this wasn't it, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. And I, I don't blame them. I think they are right. I think we were terrible leaders and we had our company was lacking everything that it should have. However, I, I wouldn't do it any different way. But but this is where where you really need to take the time and understand and I think it's also different if you have leadership experience or if, if this is your your second or your third company, this will be all much easier because you might already at an earlier stage be the one who is is hiring people to do things rather than doing it yourself. And now we are now we have passed a million. We are going from the passionate crazy stuff that you said earlier here today and we, we need to be structured. What what are you doing then? Yeah, one to, one so, to ten million. One to ten million is where most of the companies that make it to hundred thousand, I th- I think they will make it to to one million. But to get to ten million requires something entirely different. It's it's a bit like one of those match three games on the phone or, or or playing a puzzle. You need to test different pieces and you need to constantly do it. So you need to tear down your sales team rebuild it from scratch, then tear it down, then rebuild it from scratch. You need to do the same thing in marketing, tear things down, rebuild from scratch. And you need to do these things consistently over and over again. And it can be incredibly hard or if you don't have the right staff. And most likely, if you have very passionate people that took you to 1 million, they're not going to be the ones who are willing to do it because it's grueling to take everything that you built, throw it in the garbage can, and then build it from scratch, but something different. And then the day after you throw it in the garbage can again, that's very demotivating work for someone who who just wants to be on fire and passionate. But that's what you have to do, constantly reinvent, reiterate, and, and try over and over again. And it's a lot of it is the boring stuff. So to get to the 1 million, you need exciting stuff. You need to say, we are better or bigger or, or newer than anyone else. But from 1 to 10, you need the exact opposite. You need HR policies. You need uh, salary standards. You, your staff are going to talk to each other. You can't just improvise on that. They, they want to be paid fairly. Same thing with pricing. You can't just charge whatever you want from your customers. They are going to be talking to each other. So you need to have a a good pricing plan. And that's just a couple of the surface level 
examples of things that you need to standardize that you don't need before 1 million, but you have to have it in place to get to 10 million. And the last resort for like going over 100 million, you're super huge for being a sauce, but 10 to 100 million input here. So this is a very, in, in the founder journey, this stage is a very interesting one because it's the first time when you actually get Sorry, it's the second time when you actually get to work on strategy. The first time is before you hit 100,000. That's when you need the strategy. But the difference is that this time you actually have have an idea of what you're talking about because you've become an industry expert and your strategy is actually better than anyone else's. When you're between zero and 100, you need a strategy. But whether it's the right one is more dependent on luck because you simply can't have that experience. You You need... some blind faith and luck to get get there but now it's it's more about the strategy and there's there's so many things you do you can do because once you get to 10 million or if you get to 10 million with good metrics then that means that you have built an engine that that eventually is going to go to 100 million no matter what unless you intentionally break it it's going to keep going because the processes that you set up to get to 10 million they are set up not to fail because every time they fail, you go down from eight to six and then you have to start all over. And uh, once you get here, you have built an engine and the only thing you're changing here with the strategy is, okay, are you going to wait 25 years to get to 100? Are you going to wait 20, 10, five or two years? And that's what you can choose. So it's not about, it's not a question about whether you're going to reach 100. It's more a question of, what are we willing to sacrifice? In other words, how many of our staff are going to have a heart attack? How many burnouts are we going to see? What about my health? Am I going to go to the gym or not? And that's a very, very real trade-off. I mean, I can, you can do it in two years, but you won't be able to go to the gym. And maybe you have to get a divorce. No, you don't have to, but that will be the inevitable outcome. So maybe you compromise there and turn it into five years instead so that you can avoid a divorce and a heart attack, which is it's pretty lame if you spend your entire life just to be alone and dead with a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lame <laughs> life, I'd say. So Extreme. so it's it's yeah, that's of course you need to still develop things just like from one to ten million. But the difference is that you actually are hiring people who are way smarter and better than you at developing them. And not only that, you can afford to hire people who have done it many times before. Those yeah. people are very expensive. But, you know, someone who's done it five times, like let's say HR function, someone who has grown from 100 to 1,000 people and has done it five times, they're going to be ridiculously expensive to hire. But when you hire them, you don't need to worry about your HR scaling from 100 to 1,000 because that's someone else's headache. Hello, my name is Oli Landin. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Froda. You need to, to address the, the basics regardless of what, uh, what kind of vertical you're in, what product you're, you're building, which is basically your, your, your why, your how, and your, your, your when. Um, when will people need your product and service? How can, we dif- how can you differentiate yourself from competitors and similar companies and so on? And, and at the end, uh, how can you help your ta- target audience uh, with your product and, and, and service? 
Um, and finally, once you sort of have nailed those things out, focus on the fundamentals in building the business, um, but um, don't dwell too late, too long on on on, uh, on on your actions. Don't be too too introvert, if you know what I mean. Can you please please explain a bit more how a listener can like put up a this simplest framework to start with, not everything, but just something how they should think when they do an exercise of why, when, and how? The, the most undervalued question, that, which I think uh, deserves a lot more attention probably than it gets, would be the, the why. Uh, the how and the when sort of comes as a result of the, of, of the why. So, so I really start, start off by sort of identifying why would someone choose your product um, as opposed to someone else's are there existing solutions there always are what are the the sort of competitors offers what are the the the, the substitutes to, to to doing this and at the end of the day why would someone choose your product and there you need to be bluntly honest with yourself because many times you tend to focus on something which is which is kind of ancillary which is not really the most important factor in 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 uh, in, in choosing uh, a product you need to be very very blunt and and, and challenge yourself uh in 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 the why the how and the when like i said i think that's more the as a more than that's more the execution aspect of of, of the the go-to-market strategy uh, which is obviously 80 percent of uh, what it's all about where do you see many companies fail with their go-to-market strategy goes a little bit to 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 the why and, and perhaps haven't done their, their their full homework i suspect but but i think what i see among as many startups because i, I obviously i get some investment opportunities and i meet uh, a lot of startups specifically and, and i think there's in the past few years in the market that we had which been like a, an, an immense growth market for for many many years perhaps the longest in in sort of history almost i wouldn't say but a very long time um there you've seen all those sort of moonshot strategies uh, it comes from you know google and facebook and amazon and all those sort of sort of like sort of percentage point of a percentage point type of companies uh, and people look at them and think that that is the company that they're striving to build and and uh obviously there are companies who, who manage to do this but to me it is not sort of the right go-to-market strategy looking at those moonshot cases so sort of keep your keep your your bloody feet on the ground and and have some realistic expectations on on, on what you can build then if you eventually manage to get off the ground um then you can start making those larger um larger plans um so perhaps not the most motivating insight from my end um uh, but for many companies entrepreneurs but uh that's uh, at least my experience Hi, my name is Tina Carlson, CEO and co-founder at Vev. I think messaging and positioning should come from founding team and those who understand the customer the most. So messaging and positioning should come from, of course, your company's perspective, but more importantly, understanding how your ICP view the world. So with that comes developing that positioning and following messaging through a lens that lands well with the ICP. I think that 
says we're so deep into it, the technology, we see all the advancements everywhere that I think taking that step back and see where does my ICP come from when they look for a solution to a problem, what language do they use even, is a crucial step to understand. Then in initial phases, you start experimenting typically with the founder sales and different ways to land those first customers. And I think you should pay some proper attention in that phase of what worked here and then look at that as a way to scale rather than looking at like popular frameworks or how other companies have done it. I think you should be inspired by those first deals that you land and really take a close look if that's possible to scale. Then I think I believe in consultative sales. So I think bringing that as a value to your customer is something, especially in the B2B sector that we operate in, I think you shouldn't take for granted. So messaging and positioning, build that through the eyes of your, of course, your knowledge, but also through the eyes of your ICP. Do more of what works initially to inspire your go-to-market model. And last, make sure that you are an expert within your field and can deliver value beyond a product. And which of this is the hardest one? I would say messaging because the world is crowded with solutions and American companies especially are not afraid of using large words, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) So it's building that differentiation through messaging that I would say is the hardest. Do do you feel that also as a Norwegian company and me in Sweden, etc., it can be so inspiring just looking over the Atlantic to like American see companies, you you know, with their product isn't actually so good. And they're like, we are the number one in one. And like, okay, why are we so humble? We ask ourselves this every day. So we try, like, no matter how hard we try to be Americans, we just can't do it. I don't I I try to understand it myself. But the one thing that I've experienced is that we have even American clients that buy from us because they're sick and tired of American salespeople. So I think that we should sort of look to the US for marketing advice and then wrap that into that consultative and safe and humble sales approach. From the Nordics. Yeah. Thank you so much for uh, sharing these bullets. Do, do, do you have some like practice that you have done or that, that, that you can throw out like, like as where do I start? Do you have like something super simplified to at least get going with the first steps? Yeah, I have a book called, isn't it obviously awesome? It's called. So that was a mind opener for me, which revealed to me that like we... We cater to companies that have very traditional workflows. They might not use a no-code tool whatsoever. So we had to break down our messaging in a totally new way for that audience, which was an interesting approach where that book helped us a lot in looking at ourselves through new lenses, I would say. 
Great. Then we have our first book tips here also. Yeah. yeah that I haven't read at least. I'm not super curious. No, I need to check this out. Obviously awesome. Yeah. Uh, what's the thing slash channel that generates the most leads for you right now? Oh, it's such a boring answer. <laughs> <laughs> it is SEO. So for us, uh, we have as we have a horizontal market, so we can uh, any type of vertical can use our product. So what we do is we look at the hype use cases, like what are the really cool things that a designer in uh, an enterprise want to build, and then we create an article on how to build that and best practices and everything. And that's our biggest source of uh, leads. So boring answer, but also something that Vev is really useful for. We wouldn't be able uh, to I, do I, it in this cool way without Vev. I wouldn't say this is a boring answer. It could have been a boring answer if you just said uh, SEO. But framing it in, in the context of what is a hype topic right now that many in vertical X or persona Y is interested in. And then with your own tool, you can create that even better. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. perfect lead machine. And it's, it's a hats off for you for have founding that way with your own tool to shorten the time there also. I, 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 I think it's a good it that way. But that's, yeah, that's very true. I think that our marketing team we put, of course, as a, the nature of our company, it's natural, but we put a lot of effort into the design of our blog compared to pretty much anyone else. It's a templated process, but we, are, we have the freedom to add design as we, as we choose. So SEO has created way more results like through a simple blog than we expected when we looked at benchmarks. So that's and a good there, tip. And yeah, and there, there you have basically one more argument for your salespeople. If you talk like, how did we end up in this meeting? And if they think of like, yeah, maybe I found like, good, you can do this yourself. <laughs> they <laughs> so, can. That's a good point. Yeah, uh, good advice. Why, why I thought of this angle is because of my tool, VAM. I'm building a sales tool, an outreach tool. And basically... Whenever I'm in a meeting, when I have did some sort of inbound or outbound outreach, I just ask, how did we end up here? And they're like, oh, I love that approach. Same thing for I'm you with that too. Yeah. yeah. I don't believe in people that want to sell me something that they didn't use themselves if they could have. Good and point. in your scenario, you, you most certainly are using something that works and it's your most important lead generation. Hi, my name is Samir Sabini, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Uni. Can you take me through this journey of yeah. building a successful uh, go-to-market machine? So I think uh, for, if you take it from the start, you know, what we were very successful uh, with was the fact that we went very broad. I think, you know, Shopify did the same. And it's not necessarily always something that fits your your company, but we chose from day one to say, okay, we don't know enough on about every localized market. And the best way for us to recognize which markets work for us is to go broad, collect insights, and then hone in. So what we did was that we 
built a prototype. We had a big waiting list campaign. And then in that waiting, waiting list campaign, we said, okay, let's not put any stops. Let's try as much as possible. Obviously not, you know, things that took uh, a lot of resources, but from a, like a geography or ICP version with the only essential frame was that it was e-commerce. And then based upon the results and the service and feedback from customers, we decide and understand which, where we have the biggest market opportunities. And I think that bottom-up approach is very important. I think a lot of or a big mistake you can do in the beginning is to look at you know top-down TAM and think about, oh, this is a big market or this is you know indicators that say that you should go here and there. But in reality, obviously, everything comes down to your individual product and where you start. And we also knew what was the possible starting point. And especially in fintech, where we have regulation, that is very, very important. And we've done that. So, you know, with that being the, the cornerstone, we realized that UK was our main, you know, pre or, or first go-to-market. And what we did was that we've, you know, focused all resources on UK. We made sure that we... First and foremost, built the product to fit the UK market uh, initially. And we got the partners that was best for the UK market. And then we hired uh, both sales in UK and had a big marketing machine centered around the UK. And that was, you know, the beginning and what is special with our... And when you were here in the, in, in, in the past, in the story, how, how big were you now? H had you reached the 1 million in ARR? Where, where, when you had localized UK was the best and you started to build around, where in the journey were you? Yes, we were still very little localized in, in this part and probably around 1 million ARR is probably correct. And what we realized was that, you know, if you have a go-to-market and you have a potential, you may have, you know, the first 10% of that potential is easily to acquire. Um, and then after that, you need to, you know, either have a better product than you had in the first, you know, portion, or you need to do certain integrations, etc. And in our case, we needed to build out a product. We needed to have our own infrastructure in place, own you know, licenses and so on, and then also do very strong localization. And now, if you, you know, jump to nearly today, uh, our go-to-market is very much centered around, you know, the personas, uh, the CFO, the finance teams. We focus on certain markets because we know that in order to get those 90%, you know, more than the first 10% in, in each market opportunity, you need to fit into their ecosystem. And therefore, we now chose also to adapt to certain ecosystem in the whole journey. Because if you can't, if you jump into a process and say as a, a tool that, oh, we are great at this, but you don't fit into their process, they will not choose you. So you need to really not only recognize the market, you need to recognize the personas, the ICP, and the process you want to take part of. And then you need to fit into that. And obviously that learning should make sure you, or help you to then hone in on that potential. So for example, in our case, if we are deeply integrated with zero accounting, if we know that our value proposition and the buyer committee is the CFO, we need to make sure that we target CFOs that utilize zero in the back end and has, you know, what XYZ 
uh, as paints. And therefore, we then build up the full machine around that, both when it comes to inbound marketing, content, events, relationships, and more. A lot of what we try to do and what I believe is to build up to a certain brand, what we can call value in each market that we believe is, is uh, you know, prioritized. And we let that happen over time because in reality, when it comes to financial products, trust is a huge, uh, you know, dependent. Like you would never start working with uni if you don't trust us with your money. So we see that there's a lot of touch points in order to get that inflection point. But that's obviously also, you know, we raised a lot of money and we have been able to, you know, come to a certain position and therefore we can do those investments. But you need to be really smart and you need to hustle a lot before then. You know, in the beginning, I think go to market is a lot about just as the founder going out and, you know, talk with anyone that you think you can be your customer and convince them that this journey is you know, right to be on. Like if you look at our 15 biggest customers, one of those was with us from the first month we launched. And, you know, that they, are still, they are still here today. They are still number three. And, you know, that CEO at that company group, you know, when they started with us in March 2021, Uni was, you know, it was like the most basic product ever. You could probably call it shit. Like you couldn't see your transactions. You couldn't withdraw money from us. But we had first he signed up on our waiting list and then i interviewed him and we had calls and he really took you know the jump you know leap of faith and believed that we were building something that would benefit his companies over the long time and you know if you look at our journey and look back today in hindsight we would never have come to where we are now if it wasn't for him and his companies you know, and, and their commitment, their spend, etc. So yeah, I think, you know, you shouldn't overcomplicate it either. Like go to market as a strategy is obviously important as you grow. But in the beginning, it's all about hustle and convincing and creating trust, you know, people to people. Yeah, I heard that from so many successful CEOs now that until the like first million in ARR, like million yeah. euro in ARR, it's all about hustling and talking and just get, get the machine going. Yeah, but you know, but it's interesting because you probably are the person who knows your vision the best and you are the one who believes in it the best uh, or the most. And, you know, if you are not able to convince customers that they should commit to that vision, I think you have a deep issue. Uh, and then you should really take the time. And I've done this mistake a lot of times in my life, and I still do it. But, you know, you need to let go of pride and let go of being defensive and be like, okay, why will this person not commit? And what's the reason? And really understand. And then you need to make a choice. The reason you that person has is that something that you should take into account and therefore change your own you know, conviction, yeah. you know, or is this something that you believe is part of the plan or that that person is wrong for you of certain other reasons? I think a lot of times people decide that, you know, what that person says, they are wrong. And also they think, okay, we will take care of this in, you know, time. But the problem with the second alternative that it will come down the road is that if everyone comes down the road, you know, you never go down the road, you never come there that far. 
So you need to make sure that you understand, okay, what's the steps? In our case, we had a very firm belief in the beginning, you know, when it comes to go to market, we want high spend, low complexity, because we knew that no one with high complexity, you know, in their business would be satisfied with our solution. So you need a low complexity. On the other hand, in order to move the needle and make sure that we came further, we needed what we call high spend, so high volume customers. And that's obviously drastically reduced the number of possible you know, customers yes, in this market and also changed ICP a lot and changed the go-to-market a lot. So you need to be really careful, think through. And then you shouldn't be afraid that you know the customers you get today may not be the you know best icp customers next 10 years you know you change as a company and you need to be ruthless in your thinking of how you prioritize and how you make sure that you build in the right way like for tesla example they didn't believe hopefully that the roadster you know that was uh, their main target what would make them you know, the big company they are today, oh, we're selling to some super rich people that love sports cars and want an electric version. Obviously, that wasn't the case, but that made them be able to prove a lot of technologies, gave them time to invest, and therefore they could build products for the second and maybe much bigger ICP they were looking at. And the same way is with entrepreneurs. You need to be smart. Yeah. And you brought up mistakes, and now I want to... Yeah, I want to know if you should choose one, the, the biggest go-to-market mistake. What what do you see you did that you would like to redo if you could? So I think the biggest is probably you know the, the what, what I'm trying to also give advice about is you know not listening enough to your customers. I don't think you can listen enough on your customers. I think you need to have a lot of patience and you need to go into the details. I see including myself, I see a lot of entrepreneurs that they think that they listen to customers because they talk with five or ten. You know, it takes much more than anyone can, you know, fathom to really understand another person's day-to-day life and understand their choices and what makes them do certain things in a certain order and what the real pains is about. I really like this Figma I think it's the Figma story, the founder who went around and like stayed at different potential customers for like three years. They had like zero growth for five years. And then he reached like an infection point with the product, which is when it just took off. And, you know, that commitment obviously is very hard for a lot of people, including myself, to stay at customers. But I think it says a lot of, you know, what you need to do. And it's very easy to think about pains and customer uh, you know, journeys in a too simplistic way and missing a lot of important factors. Uh, so that's the main mistake. I think the second mistake I did or we did was that uh, we underestimated you know, the, what we call the number of, uh, not inter- in- integrations, but tools that customers used in their uh, user journeys. And, and that made it's harder for us, I would say, to build features uh, that fit in their journeys. And I think that is also easy to make because you, you know, especially in a fast moving world and when you have different localized approaches that you miss out on, the, you know, actual what kind of tools and features they need in order to, to, in order to replace what they have today. 
We put period with these words. A huge thank you for putting aside around 30 minutes to keep on learning. Cause I